Blog Talk Radio. It's like a few seconds. 
because you try to hold your breath in a vacuum, your lungs explode. That's it's not I mean, a nice way to go. No, that, no. that would not be a nice way to go. <laughs> uh, and in the vacuum, your, your blood boils. You get a whole lot of, I mean, just. I saw that movie. It didn't turn out well. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, a lot of things, a lot of things go wrong. Let's talk about water. And let's, let's kind of go over a little bit of anecdotal information. You know, we've been hearing things for several years now that there are problems with our fresh water. Okay. Some people don't think we got enough. Some people think we're overpopulated and we're drinking it all. Um, some people think that we're polluting it. Oh, we're definitely polluting. We're definitely polluting it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, and, this, out there. And, and all this is believable when you consider, and here's, here's, again, anecdotal information, but think about this for a minute. Every time you flush your toilet, doesn't matter you pee, you poop, doesn't care. Every time you flush that commode that in your bathroom, that was, that was last week we talked about flushing. Uh, every time you flush your standard water toilet, you're flushing a gallon or very near a gallon of drinking water down with it. This is not recycled water. This is not water that's been used for something else and you put it in the toilet. No, this is fresh drinking water that you're flushing every time you use that toilet. And that's, you know, the typical person uses a toilet two to four times a day. That's a lot of drinking water gone down the toilet. Now, recent issues in Chicago and other cities over the last several years uh, in this country exemplify this issue. Fresh drinking water is indeed dwindling because we depend on this infrastructure system. We depend on, shoot, I mean, people are beginning to depend on, on bottled water, for crying out loud, um, and so forth. So these are just some of the issues that we face. Um, one of the things that somebody then comes up and says, well, why don't we just filter the water? Well, we're already doing that. Your water treatment plants take for example, the sewage and all those gallons of water we flush down the toilet and they're reprocessing this water and cleaning it up back into drinking water that then comes back to our homes and right out our taps. Now, if you check out uh, the history, and we're going to talk about this for a minute, um, the history of water filtration from way back when, and here's something I'll bet most people didn't know, that... Um, Water filtration actually began way back even before Christ. I mean, there was a guy in, in Greece called uh, Hippocrates, I think it was, and he came up with this thing called the Hippocratic Sleeve. Now, this is not to be confused with the Hippocratic Oath. They don't do the same thing. The Hippocratic Sleeve was basically... Um, a cone of cloth and they would pour water through it and what it would do is it would strain out a lot of the junk that they would find in their water and it could be bugs it might be uh, sand particles it could be dirt it could be a lot of stuff that they'd find in their water and so they'd use this little sleeve and he found that if you drink the water after you've run it through the sleeve the water actually tasted better yeah generally. and of course this is this is a couple hundred years BC that they're doing this. And, and over the centuries, things have improved to the point where by the time we got up to uh, the Middle Ages, people had started using not only 
these sleeves, but they were starting to use uh, sand as a method to sieve the water through and drinking the water after it comes which, out of the sand. Which is interesting considering that we're trying to get sand out of our water as well. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, people noticed that and they started adding other things to start reducing the flavor. Well, somebody along the line figured out that if you then take the water that you get out of the sand and you run it through charcoal, you get a better tasting water. And then we started getting into past the Middle Ages and the bubonic plague and, and, and all those other things. We started discovering that it's not a good idea to do your personal business close to your tent. Yeah. That is a bad idea because what happens I is... I think London learned their lesson there. Well, I don't know. That was mostly for rats, but it's still the same kind of issue. Um, you need to do your stuff. Out away from your camp, from your tent, from your house, so that it doesn't leach into the water that you're drawing from your local source. You do not want to take it out near a stream. Bad, 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 bad karma. Um, so these are things that people started to learn. And then eventually, when the microscope was invented, they started seeing all these little bugs floating around in the water. Okay, now they're getting paranoid. But paranoid for a darn good reason. Because these pathogens were making people sick. So, with the introduction of the microscope. Kind of like I'm feeling right now. Well, yeah. You know, it's one thing, okay, yeah, you go to your water. To think about that. It's another thing for you to say that there are bugs in my water. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. That, 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 that is definitely kind of scary. So, here we've got three methods of water filtration. And every time we come up with a new method of water filtration, we discover, oh, there's more baddies that we got to deal with. You know, first yeah, it was just sense. getting the sand out, so we used a sleeve, yeah. some cloth. Then we added a sand filter, which did a lot. Then they added charcoal, yeah. and that did a lot. That made it taste a lot better. Yeah. I'm not sure why filtering your water through ash does that, but, hey, whatever works. And then they discovered in a microscope, now we got a whole new issue we got to figure out. How are they going to filter out these pathogens? Well, yeah. back in the day... Um, they didn't really have a solution until we get to modern times. Now, in 1972, the U.S. passes the Clean Water Act, which requires that the new thing at the time, which was now chemical stuff, was getting into our waters. Now, we got four issues that we have to face when dealing with uh, getting fresh water. Not only do we have the particulates, not only do we have uh, the chemicals, which now are coming from businesses, uh, and you've got the pathogens. So we've got to filter all three of these major issues out of our water in order to make it safe to drink. So moving forward now, we have different kinds of filtration that we can work with. We've already talked about slow sand. We've talked about charcoal. Um, but we haven't talked about anything that will actually take and get rid of the other things. Well, what do we have today to work with? Well, for the average homeowner, um, you really have about three options. One, you can go the expensive, expensive route. If any of you have bought bottled water recently, you know that it's increasing in price. If you don't buy a case at a time, which, what's, what's a case of water, bottled water cost you? Uh, right. $3.99. 
$3.99. So you're, you're paying about 20 cents a bottle. Okay. But this is over and above the water you're paying for at your house. Yeah. Which I'm paying, paying for not only regular water, but I paid for hot water as well. No, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So there's bottled water, okay, and we know that has a certain amount of expense. The more water you drink, the more it costs you, blah, blah, blah. Well, then there's filtration methods, and we've all seen things. I mean, we've seen the commercials for the Brita water filters. Yeah. We've seen all sorts of filters you can put on your faucets, um, especially in the kitchen, which is where we see most of them. Uh, Brita even has the ones that work on the pitchers where you fill the pitcher right. and the process it gets filtered. But there's there's something to remember about these filters. They're they're typically most of them probably contain a membrane, which is basically the Hippocratic sleeve. It filters out most of the particulates, and then there may be some activated charcoal inside that then filters out some of the chemicals and, and so forth. But you're still left with some of the minerals that get through and and perhaps biological things that can get past the charcoal that maybe we're not aware of. But, hey, it tastes better, and that's what most people think. So, but then you get into things like a reverse osmosis filter. Now, the reverse osmosis, uh, <coughs> reverse osmosis filter ups the ante a little bit, and in the process increases the cost. Remember we talked about every time you flush, you're throwing a, a gallon of drink of water away, and that happens two to three, two to four times a day. Well, with reverse osmosis, it's, it's several things happening at once. Water comes in and gets forced through a membrane. Now, this catches a lot of particulates. It catches some of the minerals. It catches a lot of stuff that the typical sink filter doesn't or that the Brita doesn't. But here's what most people don't realize. That filter membrane has to be rinsed off periodically in the process. Like the Brita filters, you got to change out and so on. Right, you got to change them out. Well, the reverse osmosis filters can usually last nine months to a year before you have to change them out, depending on your water use. Uh -huh. But even so, they get rinsed periodically right, so inside the system. And what happens is, is for the average is that for every gallon of water you've got a reverse osmosis system, you're rinsing all of the salt and the chemicals and the minerals down the drain and that rinse uses three more gallons of water plus the one you get out of it. So for every one gallon you get out, you're using up three to four gallons of water to rinse the system. So this is, this is getting kind of scary. I mean, you got to use four gallons of water to get one gallon to drink. The equation just doesn't work out for me. I mean, I have a real problem with this. Uh, we talked about bottled water, and heaven forbid, I've seen some ads for bottled water that say, hey, this is reverse osmosis water. So you're still paying the heavy price for the filtering, for, for the filtering in that regards. So what do we do? Okay, well, let's look at the key issues. The first is particulates. The Hippocratic sleep. This is the the sand and 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 the other minerals that come in and and calcium and stuff that comes through your water in chunks. Um, and and these can be filtered out with some sort of a, a particular filter, like this sleeve from 
Hippocrates. Then there's the chemicals and the issues that contribute to the taste. And thirdly, these are the bad guys. These are the bacteria and viruses that can leach into the water from improper sanitation or, say, a failed uh, water purification system uh, gets messed up. Now, the resolutions are that, one, the simplest way is to let the water sit. Most water treatment plants do this. Water that enters a water treatment plant goes into a settling pond yeah. where a lot of the bigger particles and ultimately settle down to the bottom, and the water actually ends up cascading over kind of a barrier so that only the water from the top of the pond actually comes down and starts flowing through the rest of the system. Then you have, that gets rid of a lot of the sand, but then it has to run through uh, a sand particulate filter. Sometimes this is actually a big bed of sand. Sometimes it's a planting area that uses um, uh, reeds, plants. You know what I'm talking about, swamp plants? Swamp plants. To actually filter that water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it comes through, and we're looking at the next step then, and that gets out most of the particulates between the sand, between the plants, between the sieve, and between the settling tank. You get most of the particulates, most of the stuff that would be gritty in your teeth from the tap. The next step has to do with getting rid of that chemical or charcoal taste. Ah. Or getting rid of the, the chemical or, or funny taste in the water. And that's usually done with the charcoal filters. Okay, so now we've got what, like so you got to have really bad tasting in order to, in order to get off bad taste. Well, just about. Yeah, anybody <laughs> tried to lick charcoal out of I your know, fire? Really... Just don't do it when the when the fire's hot. That, yeah, that's Not a whole lick different, hot pro coal. Whole that's, different problem. Right? Yeah, a whole different problem there. Okay. Now, so we've got sand, we got charcoal, we got plants. These are all things that contribute to being able to filter water pretty safely. But now we got this whole problem. Uh, how do we get the biological guys out of here? The bacteria, the viruses, yeah. or heaven forbid, mosquito eggs flying oh, through. Okay, we're not getting right. into that. We're not getting into the mosquitoes. <laughs> Those are actually pretty not, big. They usually get caught by the sand. Not somewhere. going in there. Right. Um, so now we have to up the ante here. It's not enough to use the sand or the membrane or the charcoal. Now we have to up the ante, and we got to find out a way to get through, get all these biological pests out of our water so that we can safely drink it. And I get infected! Yeah. Oof. Got to block that zombie virus. We do not want zombies. No zombies. So. This is zombie-free zone. So what we can do then is we create, we got two options, actually. And what a lot of places do is because they last so long, are ceramic filters, and they're called ceramic micropore filters. If you go to some prepping or some uh, camping places, you can find these uh, micropore filters, um, and they're available, some as, some as low as $30 to $40. Some of the newer um, filters that I have out there also combine the charcoal inside a ceramic filter, and that kind of does double duty for you there. The other option is something that uh, a lot of fish ponds and aquaponic systems use. 
And that is, is they create this tub in which they put a bunch of media. Sometimes it's little balls, sometimes it's sponges. And what they do is they cultivate what they call good bacteria in these filters. And what happens is water flows through them. And the bad bacteria that we wanted to get rid of becomes food for this good bacteria. Now, the best part about this yeah. is the water can run through a lot faster through this type of filtration to take care of these harmful things a lot faster than we can get it through some of the other methods that we've come across. Now, is it really a new tech? Not really. It's been around a while. But it is something that's coming into wide use through aquaponics because it helps keep the fish alive. And fish are food. Therefore, we want to keep them alive. So, um, but it's interesting, too. Actually, I saw a movie where, where it's the fish we're trying to tell us that fish aren't food. Yeah. Well, that's that's like cows trying to say, go eat more chicken. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody's trying to not to get at these days. <laughs> hey, Wes, come on. Circle of life, folks. Get with the, get with the well, ticket here. Well, that's true. Them zombies are in. No. Zombies are not part of the circle of life. They interrupt the circle of life. Ah. It's it's a whole thing. They they violate that whole balance of nature kind of thing. Yeah. Zombies proliferate yeah. way too fast to be any kind of a balancing also, thing. Also, I'm sorry, but they only eat part of the person. That's true. So they have a lot of waste. Yeah. And, and we talked about what happens when they eat last yeah. week. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to go there again. I'll go there again. So... But as we go along, there's there's another thing I wanted to mention today, too, as we talk about filtration, that actually some water treatment plants actually do employ, and this is a second attack against the biological, the viruses, the bacteria, the things that can get in and infect us. And it's, it's kind of like a, 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 a second wall, as it were. And what it is is called ultraviolet light, and it's a UV light. Some of you may have seen these. But the idea of UV water treatment has actually been around for a while. And like I say, water treatment plants use sometimes use this. And the idea is that you bathe the water in the UV light, and it will kill any biological component, or most of them, within a matter of seconds. But there is a catch to this. In, in everything, there's always a catch. You know, the sand doesn't filter out all the particulates. The charcoal only focuses on chemicals. And so each one of these filtering methods has both a pro and a con side. The UV light only works in clear water. If you get murky pond water, it doesn't work well because the UV light can't penetrate the water far enough to get enough sterilization done. So the next question then becomes is, well, is there a single system available? Not really. You know, I've, I've done some surveys of most, most of the, the pitcher filters that you see where you fill the pitcher up. You've got the filter in the top of the pitcher. Like the Brita you, one. Like the Brita. Okay. You, you pour water into the pitcher, and as it goes into the pitcher, it gets filtered. These are not full-scale, multi-things that are going to make that water absolutely pure. Right. Um, However, that being said, they do a pretty good job if you're taking the tap water, which has already gone through the water treatment system, mm -hmm. and now you're just filtering for taste, 
which is what you're at at that point. And so these these uh, pitcher filters will usually take out most of the chlorine, most of the chemical tastes and smells, leaving you with something that tastes pretty decent. It says here that a UV water treatment system can destroy up to 99.99%. That's a lot of of microborne, uh, waterborne microorganisms. And just so that you know, Giardia, which is uh, an intestinal thing, E. coli. We all have heard about E. coli. Well, e. coli, e. coli almost killed me earlier. Oh this year, yeah. So. Um, as well as as a whole bunch of other things get killed by the UV light. And here's another thing: when it comes to UV light, it's important to understand which filtering unit you put and in what order. Because UV light won't work at the front of your filtration system because the water's too cloudy. If you're filtering pond water coming up out of your, your, your farm or something like that, the UV light won't work on the front end right next to the pond. It's got to be the last thing in the in the filtration line. And the same is true sand. Sand well, doesn't really do. Well, that makes sense. Otherwise, just picking up all sorts of other things between. Right. Kind of defeats purpose. Exactly. Okay. And I think this is part of the issue. For the egg. Exactly. This is why I think we don't have a single methodology out there that works to filter everything. Now, let's take a moment here and let's talk about something else because I want to kind of migrate to how does this apply to Earthseed? And that's what we're going to kind of transition into here. The difference, the thing that we need to remember is, is that most of our industrial commercial infrastructure that we have today looks at producing water from water we've already used once. Okay. okay. So water comes into our cities from our wells, from our lakes, from our rivers. And it gets processed by the water treatment plant, and then it gets pumped out to all our houses. And so we get this water that's reasonably clean and reasonably fairly tasty, I guess depending on what city you're living in. But then we are flushing it down the toilet. We're running it through our reverse osmosis systems or, or we're using our little pitcher filters and we're trying to filter a little bit more for peace of mind. But there's new technology out there. Like there's a nature inspired membrane and the link is out there on on the, the RC page. And these are kind of cool. And it lowers cost of water purification, but it's still a high-tech solution that it's got to be replaced periodically. It's not cheap, any more than reverse osmosis is cheap, any more than doing water bottles. So we come, we now come full circle to that. Look at is learning to recycle our water in such a way that we can reuse a great deal of it. And the first step to recycling is not throwing it away. Now, last week, we talked about looking at different kinds of toilets that don't flush a gallon of water every time you use it. Yeah. All right? This week, we're talking about filtration. But as part of that filtration, we're talking about not throwing it away, like three gallons of water for every water you get on a reverse osmosis system. There are other ways to achieve that level of filtration that aren't near as expensive and aren't the same thing as flushing three gallons or four gallons of water down the drain every every so often. So what we want to talk about next is the idea of 
recycling the water. And there's actually a lot of things you can do at home to do this. Um, you can take your wash water. You can take um, uh, sink water from your dish sink. Uh, you can capture this water and you can use it to flush your toilet. Now that you're getting two uses out of the water, um, you can get low flow toilets. You can get low flow. You can turn on the the flow restrictors and your faucets and your showers. And these are ways that we reduce our water flow. Um, and the International Space Station has taken a lot of these steps. These guys are uber recyclers. I mean, these guys just uh, you have to be because hauling water from the Earth to the moon or to the to orbit. It's hugely expensive. I mean, you're talking, you got to send a whole rocket up, and even SpaceX rockets, they're $60 million a piece. It's also very heavy. Yeah. Well, that's just it. Yeah. The rocket is $60 million just to send a load of water up. Yeah, that, that's an expensive toy. Yeah, that's yeah. an expensive way to send water. But um, some interestingly good news is that Recent information about the moon is telling us that there's water there. I mean, here's a little yeah, bit of, yeah. from, from Wikipedia, if you look up lunar water on Wikipedia, you can find out the information I'm going to give you here real quick. 1994 Clementine mission was a satellite sent to the moon, and it's process when it did all its goody stuff and sensing and all of that, it suggested that there was ice in the deep, dark craters on the moon. Of course, I got everybody all in a big tizzy. And so they set up a couple of more things. And uh, uh, in 98, Lunar Prospector, well, it determined there was a whole lot of hydrogen there. Well, what does that tell us? Well, hydrogen usually bonds very easily with oxygen, and you get water, and then it freezes quick enough before it dissipates. You get ice. And that's what we're actually detecting. Now, in 99, they sent Cassini-Huygens by uh, to scan it, and then they sent in 2005 the Deep Impact satellite. But both of those two were kind of inconclusive. But when the Indians in 2008 sent their Chandrayaan-1 up there, it confirmed that there was water on the moon as a function of the dust that was sent up when they had an impact on the surface, and they scanned uh, the molecules of what got thrown up in the lunar atmosphere. Then in 2009, the La Crosse satellite uh, detected water also from an impact at one of the poles. And so we now have confirmation that there's a boatload of water on the moon. A boatload. Uh, oh, major boatload. I mean, like Titanic. So you, heard it, you heard it here. It's apparently the Titanic version of water on the moon. Get that image in your head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just uh, there's there's enough water there to to last uh, a, a good settlement and supply a settlement with water. And here's the water isn't just useful for us to drink and stay hydrated. When it comes to going to the moon, water is equally as important for the use as rocket fuel. As we well, sure, if you send people to the moon, well, don't you want to be able to get the mail? Well, if you want to get mail, you got to have a rocket to send stuff back to Earth. Yeah, I don't like mail. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> but 
say say somebody decides to come up with this unique craft that they can do on the moon and they want to ship it to the earth for sale, right? There you go. Well, Don't now you got to that I can understand. Right. So you got to have a way to transport it from the moon okay. back to earth. You do that, you got to have fuel for whatever rocket you're going to use. Well, hydrogen and oxygen make a perfect rocket fuel. You think I complain about the shipping costs here and on earth, man. Oh, heavens, yeah. So you know, now, would they ever take water from the moon and import it to Earth? I don't think so. No, they would be using it. Yeah, they're going to be using it. They're not yeah. going to share. Yeah. That's their they water. They talk about that. It's just like, well, yeah, we can, you know, ship that back. Why in the world would they want to ship water ice from the moon to here? We have any water here we could possibly work with. We just got to take care of it. Take care of it and, and learn how to, you know. Right. We do what we got. For God's sakes, we got oceans, we're going to say. Because <laughs> you all had a moon, okay? So getting back, one of the things, one of the research projects we have here at Earthseed is, is just the question that I asked a little bit ago about is there a single unit that can filter water to a point that it is clean and safe and palatable for drinking and using safely? And the answer to that is, is no, there isn't a single system out there oh, yet. I thought you were asking me. But one of the things that Earthseed <laughs> is trying now. to do is we are building a water filtration system, multi-stage, in an attempt to build a recycling system. Now, our system is designed uh, to run on the bus, so it is sized to operate between our fish pond, our plants, and the two or three people that would be potentially living in the bus. But again, it's a pilot program that we're building uh, to demonstrate that, yeah, we can go and live on the moon. Now, last week we talked about toilets, and primarily the reason that fits into the Earthseed program has to do with the idea of being able to use a toilet that can consume waste and recycle that waste rather than just flush and forget like we do in our society today. Yeah. And also, that allows us to reduce the amount of water that we have to carry with us. Now, if we can also come up with a way where we can then use water in our lunar settlement, recycle it in such a way that we do not have to import water or that we can reduce the amount of mining we do for water on the lunar surface, hey, all the better. Now, the ISS is using is recycling almost 93% of the water that they have, whether that's sweat, water they're using for different functions on the space station, or whether it happens to be urine. They're capturing as much water as they possibly can and running it through their filtration system. Now, their filtration system is a technological wonder, and it's... All this fancy, fancy tech and pressurized pipes and all that kind of stuff. I'm not even sure I understand how it works, other than it is a series of membranes and a series of treatment units that comes close to being a one-unit recycling system, but not quite. Now, the one benefit that they have, though, that makes it function as well as it does is that they're not processing sewage. So it's not a wastewater treatment plant. Wow. It's water recycling. Yeah, and if we yeah, and if we had something in our house where we could look at, okay, instead of thinking about water recycling, I'm sorry, water treatment, where I 
sewage. Last week we talked about toilets, and if you can eliminate the sewage part of your water usage, you've just made available, what, a minimum three to four gallons of water per day that would normally get flushed per person. If you've got a household of four to six people in your home, yeah. that's, well, that's, that's 24 gallons of water a day you're not using. Yeah, that's a huge amount. That's a lot of water. Think about that water bill at the end of the month. I don't 24 a gallons a, a day? Wow. You're getting a, a, a baby in the family and it just... Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine. You, because you, you I use baths, showers. And that was, right, yeah. there you go. Oh, and laundry alone. Yeah. Think about how much water you're using in laundry. You're looking at 5 to 10 gallons per wash load. Of course, nowadays, if you if you have the, you know, uh, the newer washers, that's not the case. You're still still looking at between 2 to 3 gallons of water yeah. per wash yeah. load. Yeah, because you got to get it wet. You've got to get it wet. It's got to slosh in and in yeah. the water and out. Yeah. You know, so you still got those issues. But if you could recycle that water, you could recycle your sink water. You can then recycle your dishing, dishwashing water. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of ways that people could turn around and do this. The downside is this kind of thing takes effort. It's it's not like you're going to find anything on the market today that you can buy and install under your sink, and it's going to recycle all your water for you. It doesn't yet exist, uh, not for people trying. I mean, you've got systems that will take your fresh water and filter it down, but... Um, we don't have anything that will take your undersink water, your drain water, and recycle that. And that's something that nobody seems to be working on. I, I haven't seen anything that will do uh, a home water filtration system. You got home water filtering that takes your incoming city water. But nine out of ten times, and, and, and the fact is that city water is actually as clean or cleaner than a lot of the water that you might get anywhere else, be it bottled water, RO, or anything else. Because all of, and, and think about it, your RO water, your pitcher filter, your sink filter, these all work off of the city water. So you're just, you're adding additional expense and time and energy to filter the water you already have coming into your home. Imagine if you applied those filtration techniques to, say, your sink wash water. If you're washing dishes in the sink, there's two to three gallons of water there. If you could recycle that water, even if all you did was had a bucket under your sink to catch all the water you use in your kitchen sink, uh -huh. then haul that bucket of water back into your bathroom and dump it in the tank. That alone is one way to do that. Now, how'd you do that? How would you do that on a regular thing? I'm not quite sure. You need a pump, you need a cistern, you know, there, there's some things. But there are things that could be done if we were to rethink the way we consume right. our water. Right. And when we get to the point where we're ready to go settle the moon, these are the way we're going to have to think about our water usage. Now, that's just wrong. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the articles that we have on, on uh, Earthsheet Facebook page, 
it was water plant employee caught urinating in filtering system. Now, you would think this guy would know better. I mean, you know, go to the regular restroom, for goodness sake. But he, he got himself, uh, he got himself in trouble for doing this. So, you, you know, watch where you're leaving yourself, okay? <laughs> the interesting thing is, is that urine itself is sterile. There are no pathogens uh, for the most part. Unless a person has got infections or something like that. Right, right. Uh, and it's a little high in ammonia. It's a little high in some other things such as calcium uh, and nitrates. But for the most part, in a serious pinch, you could drink your own urine to stay hydrated. We saw that movie. Yeah. Not pleasant. <laughs> Not pleasant. Uh, I've actually seen where, where people have used urine to put in their radiators. I've seen where they're actually making blocks for building their houses. Urine. That was another thing. That's they're using the urine and the ammonia and the nitrates within the urine to oh. activate uh, the material in the cement yeah. to make uh, cement blocks. Yeah. So hey, it, hey, there are a uses. It's a source of, of liquid mm -hmm. that so contains some usable materials. There you go. <laughs> and. You know, here's the thing. Last week we talked about toilets. This week we're talking about uh, water. Yeah. And the thing of it is, as a society, we need to learn, especially if we're going to survive in space, we have to learn that our, quote, wastes, what we output from our bodies, is not always waste. Right. And, in fact, in most instances, Regardless of which end it's coming out of, it can be processed back into something usable by someone or something. Uh, so it's about changing the attitudes that we have about how we use water and how we consume the water and also what we do with the water when we have used it throughout Pile history. Up. Pile it up, Al. Throughout history, we have used water once and then tossed it out the door in some way or fashion. We've got to change that attitude in our individual lives and spread that knowledge so that we can recycle our water multiple times so that we can reduce our losses of fresh water. And we in the process, before, didn't we? we have. Mushrooms are a swamp-type uh, thing. Yeah. They, they are a fungus. They love moist areas. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, so if I want to get, get rid of some my equi in my body, I should just eat more mushrooms. Well, I don't know if that would <laughs> do it because mushrooms are pretty much dead by the time you swallow them. But... That's a whole different conversation. If we're going to colonize space, if we're going to settle space and live there permanently, we need to change our attitudes on how we use and abuse water. Yeah. We've got to think in terms of it's not just a one-shot deal. It's got to be recycled. Yeah. Because there's only so much of it. There is, it is a finite resource. Right. Just as each and every person we run into in life is a finite resource. 
You wouldn't throw a person out, use them once and throw them out, would you? Well, water is is it is just as important as the person we've hired yeah, to do a job. I, I have a tendency to keep my, my people around. Yeah. Yeah. So we should keep our water around and learn to reuse it in the same way that we get to interact that's, and reuse that's, our people. That's something that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. There. You know, any more than than. Got to, got to reuse my people. Right. Okay. There's all sorts of analogies. Any more than you? No, I think it's a great one because again, we don't, you know, we'll think about you know throwing out our our people. So it's the same type of resource. Or our pets. You know, you don't keep a pet for a day and throw them away. Yeah, that. that you know, our yeah. plates in our kitchen. You know. Right. We do have throwaway plates. You know, paper plates that right. you buy, you throw them away again. There's that attitude of throwing things away, and that's where our society needs. To make the adjustment. Yeah. yeah. The yeah, throw away. We talk about disposable uh, plates, cups, the plastic bottles we use to buy bottled water in. Yeah. Um, the amount of paper that we write on and we just throw in the trash and don't even think about it anymore because we assume it'll go into a landfill or it'll get cleaned up or reused somewhere down the line. But unless yeah, we create. Bag and ways, then the bag goes into the trash can and the trash can goes out to the dumpster and. There you go. And it goes to the landfill. We go to we the grocery care. store. We get groceries. They give us plastic bags. We come home. Yeah. They end up in the trash can. So they get used once. And this is just yeah. such a sad state I try of to affairs. use them a couple times, but, you know. Yeah. I actually carry, I, I double bag my paper bags, and I reuse them. I've got my elastic. Yeah, you're a paper. Bag. I'm a plastic. Yeah. I keep, I've, I've actually reused my paper bags almost three months now. Yeah, I, I use my plastic for a lot of different things. Yeah. So. And, you know, the good thing I think of, hey, I haven't seen any roaches yet. Roaches love the glue in, in paper bags and cardboard. Did you know that? Yes, I That's do. how you can get them at home. They really love newspapers. I yeah. Know yeah. But if you carry your own paper bags to the grocery and you keep them with you, yeah. and then you pack up your groceries and you bring them home, yeah. hey, you don't get the the yeah, roaches that are hiding underneath. How irritated you've been when when you go into a store and they have no paper. Oh yeah. Bags for yeah. You, and, uh, uh, yeah. You got upset, so you started bringing your own. Yeah. Yeah, I got tired of not having. <laughs> they hate those plastic bags. They're, they're such an. Annoying. I know you do. I, I happen to find it easier to hold on to, but okay. You know, I almost. I, I, was, each, each, each I bought a I bought a six pack of the plastic bottles of soda pop last week, and I remember I was sitting there with a pair of scissors cutting each of the loops and what i do is i cut the bottle out of the loop yeah. so that because i don't want to get birds caught in this because you well, know it can end up in all it's one of that movie that okay i saw that on uh happy feet happy feet yeah the one guy gets caught yeah. in a in a coke and yeah. in, in one of those loops and, and, so, and it's, it's so awful but i'm yeah. sitting here thinking about this and i'm thinking okay well why don't they go back to the old paper carton six packs that you used to get. You'd buy beer, you used to buy soda pop, you could buy, you used to even be able to buy anything liquid. Yeah. Juice. I remember uh, bottles used to come in the, ca in the case like that. And, yeah. I mean, I, I realize plastic you know, is so it makes much you pretty cheaper. Dated, but it wasn't so much me, it was my, my yeah. parents, the ones that had the, the, the cases. But damn. Right. And see, those could be recycled. From Ohio, so right. they were drinkers. And those could be recycled. They're paper. They could go through the paper recycling yes. thing. I mean, these are these are just some of the methods that we could encourage recycling of the materials that we have yeah. and to reduce the use of 
plastics that don't degrade or that cause other problems in our environment. Um, so, so what do you want to talk about next week? I'm thinking since we're talking about water, okay, uh, water's used on plants, and I think that's important to talk about not only what you think should be, if you're in a small situation, we're talking about, you know, tiny home, bus, or on the moon, or whatever, what food should be, or, or you know, um, well, one of the well, one of the concerns that we have with the Earth Seat bus is how would, if we were to close it, the theory is we close the door and we'd be able to survive right. indefinitely. Exactly. You so, know, we talked about so Mr. I want to go over next week the food and building materials you would want to grow. Or just well, grow not only the, the building materials, but how do you make this whole little mini ecosystem work? There you go. And we'll be talking about that ecosystem. And just for those of you who will be joining so us So would you rather week, we talk about the ecosystem first before we go into the food? Well, the ecosystem will include the food discussion. I think it's two discussions. I, I, I've read your book. <laughs> and I know how much you can go up. <laughs> it'll, it'll, we'll keep it. Well, I'll keep it to the 40, 45 oh, minutes. Okay, and we okay. can talk about both. And we'll talk about not only the ecosystem, but how everything fits together and why we at Earthseed have chosen these specific species of creatures to put into this. Because I know we did brought up mushrooms, and, and I think it's, it right. needs to be discussed again next week on why you think the mushrooms need to be in part of that ecosystem. Well, and, and it's not just mushrooms, but the plants that we exactly. choose, as well as the fish and uh, and other things that we'll have in the bus as we get closer to completing it. Great. So, that's so next week we'll talk week. about the biome, the earth seed biome. Yay. So that's a good subject matter. Again, uh, ending the whole thing about water, uh, he'll be discussing also how he, he uses the water in the ecosystem, uh, the biome, and how that all works together. Say. Want to sign off? Absolutely. We'll see you next time. So Al's going to see you next time, and this is Joe. And um, we'll probably be doing a little a little thing next um, this Wednesday, uh, just to be able to make sure that you know we have a, a small show for before Thanksgiving. As a thank you, uh, we'll talk about things that we're thankful for. Uh, again, being thankful. Hey, you know. Uh, I almost died last, earlier this year. So again, you know, I have to do that every once every 20 years. So. Sometimes <laughs> I think it's every year. Yeah, no, no, no. The flu is one thing, but you know, when when you, you when your whole system goes off on you, and you have E. coli that tries to kill you, it's just kind of a big thing. So, anyway, um, I'm thankful that I'm here. So on this earth or, you know, beyond or wherever I happen to be at the moment. And uh, and I think that all of you have, should have something that you're really thankful for, too. Uh, that's not the only thing I'm thankful for. I'm just saying that, above all, that's, you know, being alive is always one good thing, you know. So for that, I'd like to say just awesome. Yeah, this is Radio. And this is Joe signing up. Eight minutes.